Hi, I'm Emily Altschul. And I'm Mariah Larkin. And this is episode two of Mental. Where we're rethinking crazy. This week we're hearing from Diane Kahn. Diane's in the film industry, and Mariah, you met her on a plane? I did. I had initially stolen her window seat, uh, so we got off to a bit of an awkward start. <laughs> but uh, eventually she realized that I was editing a video on my computer, and so we got to talking. And we eventually got to talking about mental illness, which is how a few months later I came to be working as an assistant on the documentary that she is currently producing about treatment-resistant depression in the United States. So the more I got to know Diane and her story and all of the research that she's done on these issues, the more curious I became to hear her perspective. Good morning. Very happy to be here. My name is Diane Kahn. I am 58 years old and I am a documentary and film producer. And I have a company that makes cashmere dog sweaters called Ruby Rufus. In the 1970s, I was a teenager and my mother committed suicide. And back then, nobody talked about it. Nobody asked me how I was. Nobody got the family together and talked to us. We did not have a funeral, which is often the case with death by suicide. And what I've seen over the years is that kids today especially are talking about it. There is now an annual suicide conference, which is both scientific uh, and presents papers and also has a day for survivors of suicide. And that is attended by many hundreds of people. It's incredibly helpful for people to talk about it. That was my experience. And in the olden days, in up, into, up through into the 1980s, nobody talked about the family afterwards, the friends, the colleagues, the uh, relatives who who had feelings about somebody who had died by suicide. And now that conversation has come open with foundations starting to and really paying attention to what they call postvention after the fact. And that is a huge difference. And I think that goes a long way to helping people normalize mental health in general and the effects of suicide in particular, because we who have... Uh, lost somebody that way often tend to feel guilty and ashamed. That was certainly my experience. And over the years, it's a conversation we've learned to have and we're learning to normalize both depression, the effects of depression, the fact that it's the most common disease in the world and also the one that nobody talks about and that treatments are changing and we are progressing and the more people talk about it the more people understand the depth of it the more likely we are to actually be able to move forward and find treatments that really work let me just say that i think um, if i can share our initial meeting experience is something that never would have happened 30 or 40 years ago you and i were flying to uh New York from LA and we were seated together and I noticed at some point that you were uh, on your computer and it looked like you were editing something and because I'm in the film business I happened to ask you what you were working on and what you were cutting and and uh, you said you were cutting a piece on 
mental illness and uh, getting ready to apply to uh, postgraduate school and you wanted to work in the documentary field. And that led us to speaking about depression and your interest in it. And I shared that I also had experience with that, uh, as you had shared, and that I had lost my mother and I have made a short film about it. And on we went from there and discovered that we were open and able to have a conversation about this topic. And um, as you became very aware, I've been working on a film about depression and uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you working with us on it as we discover more and more about the biology of depression and the treatment of depression. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And it started with a conversation on an airplane that we both felt totally comfortable having, which is very different. And nothing like that has happened for me on a plane. And I was just thrilled to to meet you. And in that case, it was very poignant to meet you that way. I think it's very helpful for me in my life to own the fact that I have had depression and I have struggled with it and worked with it and found a way to really live with it. And I have discovered in my own experience that by sharing initially in general about it, uh, it has allowed people to, if uh, they also have gone through periods like this, respond in kind. And it is, it's not a focus of conversations, but it is part of who I am and and it affects how I do things. I, over the years, have watched people who are tremendously successful and accomplished and function at a very high level, which I respect and admire, and I've been able to do myself on many occasions and for long periods. But oftentimes, I look at people like that, and I, I listen to them talk, and I think, you know, they, I can hardly wait to jump out of bed in the morning and I can hardly wait to get to work and discover what's going to happen. And I, I, I find myself thinking that person's never suffered depression because it's a very, I mean, they may have, but my experience is that, you know, for me to jump out of bed and greet the day is a very rare day. Um, I meditate every morning, which really helps me. I take care of myself. I share my feelings. I get support. And that's made a huge difference. And the fact that I love my life and I'm at peace with where I am, I do have a lot of energy. I get a lot done. But I also know that I have had to learn to live with uh, bouts of depression and really focus on keeping in touch with myself and the world in order to get that got to get out and greet the day feeling. What happened for me was because it was the 70s and I was a teenager after my mother died, once I turned 18, I was off, I was given medication and nobody for the first 10 years asked me about my feelings. Nobody said, how do you feel about your mother having killed herself? How do you and your siblings talk about it? How are you doing in school? Nothing. Here's the medication. Let me know how you're feeling next week. And that was not helpful for me on an emotional level and on a level of learning to come to terms with it. Once I discovered a therapist and a group where I could talk about it and people didn't run away, which they had before, 
then I was able to normalize it. And it's not something I talk about today unless it seems to come up in a conversation. I discovered as I started to talk about my uh, experiences around and after my mother's suicide that I couldn't find other people who were talking about it. And somebody in New York, I was living here at the time, happened to mention that there was a suicide conference happening in Queens. And I'd never heard of such a thing. And I attended it uh, very scared to sort of own my experience. And at that conference, they very interestingly split us into smaller groups to chat based on who we had lost to suicide. So I was in the children who had lost parents before they turned 18 group. Uh, and then there were people who had lost a child, people who had lost a sibling, people who had lost a colleague, people who had lost a spouse, and people who had lost a friend. And everybody's experiences were different depending on who they lost. And we shared in these smaller groups. And I realized that I wanted to bring this conversation to a bigger place and that I wanted to try and film some of these people talking about their experience because I'd never heard other people talking about it. So I got names and numbers of a number of people and explained to them what I wanted to do. And I ended up filming 10 different people telling their stories. And I noticed that some of them were frozen in the story, which meant that um, although they were talking about it, they were detached from it and sharing it as if it was something that happened a thousand miles away from them and didn't have anything to do with their emotions. But I did find a couple of people who spoke about their experiences from a very present emotional point of view. And uh, I recorded them and cut it together along with my own experience and some early family footage of us, the five kids and my parents, and uh, made a very small 12-minute film called After a Suicide, which is actually up on YouTube and still available. And that was 20 years ago. It was incredibly helpful for me. And I still amazingly get letters about it from people who've just seen it now and therapists who use it as a teaching tool because it's still not common to hear people speak about it. And um, I used to rail about this because uh, although I didn't pay much attention to the Oprah show, Oprah was known to bring out every topic under the sun to talk about on her show. But she never spoke about suicide. She spoke about sexual abuse. She spoke about addiction. She spoke about everything. She never had survivors who'd lost somebody to suicide or people who'd, who'd attempted and recovered. And I found that really interesting and indicative of the level of shame and unspokenness in this topic that is so, so difficult to... I don't, I'm not talking about normalizing the act and making it acceptable. I'm talking about the discussion around mental illness so that we're able to speak about it long before anybody feels so isolated, so displaced, 
so unable and um, unaware of the help that's available that they feel they have no choice. That's the place I'm interested in is the, bringing the conversation out so that we can talk about it long before uh, anybody's experience and difficulties get to that level. I grew up feeling ashamed if I wasn't uh, happy and uh, uncomfortable if I was sad or angry or jealous or envious or disappointed. And I've learned that the spectrum of normal emotions is very, very large and all of them are acceptable and that the more I talk about them, the less likely I am to get stuck in them. And I don't even mean talk to other people about them. The more if I can acknowledge my feelings, even to myself, I can move on. And that has been huge for me because I was stuck in grief for years and I had no idea. I had no idea. And that's really been different for me. And I believe that uh, some people suffer, some people suffer minor depression, even disappointment can, I suppose, be covered under that umbrella. And other people struggle with what's called treatment resistant depression, which means they have a biological depression and nothing works for them. And um, that uh, particular section of people and people without access to mental illness, uh, sorry, without access to mental health for their illness, to me are um, some of the most vulnerable when it comes to mental health. And part of the reason I'm so interested in this documentary I'm working on with uh, the organization Hope for Depression is that these eight scientists who are coming together to do collaborative research are looking at various different aspects of biological depression because the science of it is so complicated. For example, they're included in these eight scientists who are studying this are a uh, neurologist and a um, biomedical engineer, psychiatrist, a neuroscientist, an epigeneticist, etc. So you get the idea of how broad the base of issues around the biology of depression is. And one of their main focuses is to really drill down into this, share information, share information, pre-publication, and really move the science forward because so little money is spent on research for uh, mental health, mental illness, that um, it's both a shock and incredibly disappointing considering that it is the most common disease in the world. It turns out that 80%-ish of people who commit suicide have not had any diagnosis or treatment for mental health issues. My recovery in my mental health issues has really affected how I see the world because I used to walk down the street and effectively see people on the other side of windows at any uh, sociological and economic level and see them smiling and laughing and wonder what it was that they knew that I didn't because I had no idea how to be in the world. I didn't understand that it was okay to enjoy life. 
in my case, after I had suffered such a loss because I felt so guilty and I had to learn that I could let go of feelings like that and I could allow myself to enjoy my life. And um, in that sense, I don't actually consider myself depressed today, interestingly enough, um, although I do take medication. But I really feel like a sane human. And I'll go back to this daily meditation practice that I learned 13 years ago, which I perform on a daily basis in the morning, first thing, so that I too can feel like I want to jump out of bed and greet the day. And that has really changed my life. It's one of the most important things I've done. But also for me, really talking about it um, to myself not in excess, just, you know, checking in with myself for a couple of seconds in the morning. How am I doing? What's going on? What am I looking forward to today? Because that's always helped me to have something to look forward to. And I found that both um, being in the world, my relationships with people are incredibly important. I love my friends. I've got a bunch of them that I want to see and spend time with. And these these sorts of things, doing activities I love. I'm a huge reader. I love being out in the world and seeing theater and films and dance and experimental issues and listening to Shakespeare. And I find that these really help me enjoy my life to the point where I don't have any regrets and that life comes with a tremendous amount of color, both individually and out in the world. One of the things I'd just like to wrap up with is why I, why I feel so strongly about um, the importance of sharing these stories, because I think one of the things that connects us as human beings is our experiences, which are so similar across the spectrum around the world. We find people like us. And um, I just watched a documentary called Camera Person, which covers almost 25 years of a cinematographer's experience making documentaries. And she goes around the world. She's all over the place. And, you know, we realize that we all share the same feelings. And as they say, a smile is the same in any language. And I think that for me is the goal of, in, for me, of so much of this work um, in mental health, because mental health allows us to be in the world and function in the world and enjoy life. Because for me, that is, is really a goal. I used to think there was something that was supposed to happen in life, but I realized that for me to be at peace with myself and wanting to be of service in the world, wanting to contribute however I can, that for me is the essence of a life well lived. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you again to Diane for sitting down and talking with me. You can find a link to Diane's short film, After a Suicide, on our website, mental-podcast.com. 
Mental was created by me, Emily Alchel. And me, Mariah Larkin. Episode 1 was produced by Emily. And episode 2 was produced by Mariah. <laughs> Both episodes were completed with production assistance from Asa Secker. And scoring by Karis Tan. If you like what you've heard, please go check us out on iTunes and be sure to subscribe. And leave us a review, it would really help us out. This has been Mental. Where we're rethinking crazy. Because you're not crazy. Thank you.